following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right, hey, uh, Easter Sunday, Jesus has risen. How cool is that? Sunday has come, right? And so just like we heard on Friday night, this past Friday, we studied the reality of the cross and the burial of Jesus. Luke's narrative really showed us very clearly, did it not, that Jesus innocently and willingly died for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue so that we could have forgiveness of sin, we could be made right with God, we could have Jesus as our Savior and King. And in His death, He completed the job that God gave Him to do. He fulfilled the law of God by being obedient to God in every point of the law, even to the point of death, and satisfied the justice of God and the wrath of God by dying in our place. On Saturday of Holy Week, something very interesting happened. The tomb that was that Jesus was buried in was guarded by elite Roman soldiers. And the reason they did this is because the Jewish leaders had gone to the high priest and to the Roman leaders and said, listen, we're concerned that the followers of Jesus are going to steal his body and claim that there was a resurrection. And so now Sunday has come, the first day of the week. So let's stand together. We're going to read Luke 24, 1 through 12. If you're new with us, we stand here because we believe that God's word is authoritative. It is inspired. It is God-breathed, and it is true. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. If you do, just follow along with me as I read. This is the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by, by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, they they, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the mother of James and the other women with him who told them the, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling. And what had happened? Let's pray. Father, thank you today that we can celebrate again the the risen Savior. Thank you that the things that we're going to see this morning prove to us again that this resurrection scene is true. And it proves to us again the power of God on display. But Lord, this morning, would you open our ears and remind us once again what you have said so that we might have hope in this world of chaos and we might see that God, the God of the universe, is in control of it all. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you've been with us very long, you're probably wondering, where is everybody at? 
I mean, it's Easter Sunday. Well, they all came to first service. I mean, first service was overflowing with people, right? So, uh, so you, you're here and you're going, this seems pretty good. We got room to roam. Uh, not like every other Sunday, but that's what happened. About a lot of people came to first service, which we pleaded with them to come to first service. So they did. Okay, so here's what we want to learn this morning. So if you're new with us, a big idea is going to come up on the screen, and here's what it is. This is all we want to learn today. Jesus is not in the tomb. He is alive. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. That's what we want to see this morning. And let's start by looking at the witnesses. We're going to see this throughout the text. You know, one of the interesting things about the resurrection scene in the Bible is how important it is, but how matter-of-factly it's spoken about. Each of the gospel writers writes about it, which tells us it is remarkably important, but every writer doesn't tell us how Jesus was raised from the dead. Instead, they simply say things like, the stone was rolled away, or the body of Jesus was not there. This tells us that, on the one hand, how God raised Jesus from the dead is between God and Jesus. It's just information we don't know. Nobody this side of heaven knows how God raised Jesus from the dead. Only Jesus and God were intimately involved in this. On the other hand, it tells us what we have in Holy Scripture is sufficient for us. What God has given us is sufficient for us to know. Meaning, if God felt the need for us to have more information about how He raised Jesus from the dead, God would have given it to us. The kind, good God of the universe can be trusted and be, be, uh, be, be, uh, be, have faith in because of this issue. We have confidence that God has given us everything we need. Luke, the writer of this letter, does something fascinating. He tries to get all of his all of his ducks in a row for a very good legal battle, and he gives us very important eyewitnesses to this resurrection account. And you're going to notice something about these witnesses. Notice in verse 1 how atypical these witnesses are. We're told on the first day of the week they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. Now you've got to ask, who's the they here? Well, back up in the previous chapter, chapter 23, verse 55, we're told who the they are. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they went, returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. These are the same ladies who were with Jesus from a distance and saw him crucified from a distance. The same ladies who saw Joseph of Arimathea put, put Jesus' body in Joseph's tomb. And here they are on Sunday. The first day of the week, rising early, probably before dawn, to get to the tomb to put the spices they had prepared on Jesus' body. Now we're told who these ladies are in verse 10. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. And what these women witnessed at the tomb was miraculous. Notice verses 2 and 4 and verse 6. They found the stone rolled away. Again, very, very simple language from Luke. When they went into the tomb, they found Jesus' body was not there. No description on how that happened. While they were obviously perplexed and probably a bit worried about this, two angels appeared and told them what had happened. And notice verse 6. They just basically said, He's not here. He is risen. And they did this, and, and, and they did what all of us would have done in that very moment. They freaked out. Now you can imagine walking into a tomb 
to lay the spices on the body of the person that you'd seen laid in that tomb, and suddenly everything is changed when that body is not there. We're told in the other Gospels that they ran away with fear and great trembling. Meaning this, they were worshiping, they were rejoicing, yet they were scared to death. And they went to the other apostles to tell the apostles what had happened, and even the apostles didn't believe it. They thought it was a fairy tale. Now what's happening in this text, right at the beginning of this, is very important for us to have these witnesses. There's two reasons for it. The first reason is we have witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. So we can we can say, and some can say, that Jesus is unimportant. Some can say that Jesus wasn't God, but you can't ignore the facts. And here are the facts. This section of Scripture and from all of Scripture tell us that Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection had lots and lots and lots of eyewitnesses laying eyes upon this whole scene. As we saw on Friday, there were loads of witnesses at the crucifixion. We saw that plenty of people saw where Jesus was buried. On Easter Sunday, we have the eyewitnesses of these women going in to see and tell us what they had seen. Now what's fascinating is, in the Jewish culture, women were seemingly insignificant. They might have been the first witnesses, but they most certainly weren't the last witnesses. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and notice clearly, then He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, and then all the other apostles. What, what Peter, what, what Paul is telling us is, these women that saw Jesus being raised from the dead are just simply the tip of the iceberg. Again, you you can think Jesus is unimportant. You can think His coming to earth was no big deal. You can think His death was deserved or undeserving of your allegiance. But one thing you cannot do, you cannot ignore the overwhelming evidence of these eyewitnesses. If this were any, any court of law, this would win the case. That's what Luke is doing in his account. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was raised from the dead as seen by these women. But that leads me to another reason why this is important for us to have these ladies as these eyewitnesses. I mean, what's the deal when you read the Bible about how understated the whole resurrection scene is? I mean, when you read the Bible, you, you should think to yourself, Jesus has been raised from the dead. There should be chapters on this. right? There should be lots of explanation about this. What is God showing us by making this scene seem so modest and unpretentious? What is God doing by making it so subtle? And his body was not there. The stone was rolled away. Next to Jesus' Jesus's incarnation, when he put on human flesh, this is perhaps the greatest miracle in the Bible. Yet simply stated, the stone is not there. His body is not there. In three of the four Gospels, it covers a mere 30 verses. John's Gospel is the outlier. There's, it covers it in 18 verses. And the main eyewitnesses were women who, again, in that culture were seemingly insignificant and seemingly unreliable sources. So what is this about? I mean, Jesus' resurrection was not seen by kings or rulers, yet they heard about it. And it was not evidenced by military leaders except by the Roman soldiers who ran straight to the high priest and got paid off for what they had seen. 
His resurrection is first witnessed by women. Seemingly insignificant women, and we just simply get the stone was rolled away. Why? Why would Jesus' resurrection be so understated? Well, here's why I think why. I think the Scripture's clear on this. The world relies on pomp, power, and prestige. The world recognizes performance, applause, and trophies. But Jesus came as a baby, born in an insignificant manger outside an insignificant town to two insignificant parents who were from an insignificant little city. He came as a servant king, not a military king. He came as a caring shepherd, not a political dictator. And he died a criminal's death for sinners like you and me. And what does the world do to a king like that? Well, they mock him. They beat him. They curse him. They even pay people off to lie about him. So what this tells us is God does not operate by the world's system of power. But he operates by taking a seemingly insignificant human baby and saving people from every tribe, race, and tongue. He's not looking to make a scene. He's not looking to mesmerize a crowd or win the court of human approval. He's not going to use the strength of a horse or the power of a cannon. He's going to use his own strength and power, which are found in servanthood, sacrifice, and gentleness. And this is his gospel. The story of his perfect life, his willing and sacrificial death, and his resurrection, which are the power of God to forgive us of our sins and make us right with God and give us eternal life. And when we understand this, when we understand why Jesus' resurrection is understated in the Gospels and is first seen by these wonderful faith-filled women, we will see this. That's God's way. It's God's way to be do something subtle and simple, yet be the power of God. So that's the witnesses that we see. But let's look at the next thing in the text, which was remember what he told you. <clears throat> We're told a couple of things that the angels say to these women that are very significant. First, notice what they say to the women in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a strange question. Why would you be looking for Jesus here? Tombs are not a place to look for living people. The angels, the language in the Greek, shows that the, these angels were shocked. It's a, it's a shocking question. Like, what in the world are you doing here? And they ask it this way because they knew these ladies had been with Jesus they knew that these ladies believed that Jesus was their king and he was the Messiah who was to come for them. And we can hear it, their question like this. Since you've been with Jesus so long, you saw him, you heard him teach, you saw him do miracles, you believed he was your long-awaited king, why are you coming to a tomb looking for a man who's alive? It doesn't make sense to us. And you can see their question even further in verses 6 and 7, which reveal their shock. When the angels say, remember how he told you while in Galilee that the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Why would you be looking for the living among the dead? Well, here's why. Because the women had forgotten what Jesus had told them. The angels needed to remind them. Don't forget, gals, just, just a few days ago, you were in Galilee. And he told you he'd be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He would die and be, be raised on the third day. So why are you looking for the living among the dead? 
These women had served Jesus, been with Jesus, listened to Jesus, touched Jesus. Yet in the midst of the chaos from Thursday to Saturday, they forgot what Jesus had told them. They needed to be reminded. Now let that settle in your soul for a moment. People who are with Jesus physically forgot what Jesus had told them. We see this in the apostles as well. When the ladies go to talk to the apostles and they just say, this is like a nursery rhyme. Are you crazy? You're, you're telling us, a, you're telling us a, a false narrative here. This can't be true. We, 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 we see people who walked with Jesus physically saw him calm the seas by just raising his hand, raise the dead, heal the sick, feed 5,000 with just breadcrumbs, believed he was a long-awaited king, yet in the midst of chaos and things not going the way they thought they were going to go, they forgot the words that Jesus said to them. And my response is, if it happened to them, how much more do we need to be reminded of what he has said? How much more important do we need reminders of what he has said to us? Do you, you ever wonder, why, why do we need to go to church on a Sunday? Here's why. Because we need to be reminded what he said. Why do we need Christian friends around us to encourage us and, and, and remind us of what he said? Because we need to be reminded of what he said. Easy, we easily forget. Why are we told in the scripture that day after day after day, we are to encourage one another as we see the day of the Lord drawing near? Because we need to be reminded of what he has said. Matthew Henry wrote it this way. A seasonable remembrance of the words of Christ will help us to a right understanding of His providence. A simple, clear remembering of what He has said will help us see His invisible hand in a world of chaos and confusion, just like the angels spoke to the women. And, and, and how practical is that for us right now? In a world where COVID-19 has created all sorts of chaos and uncertainty and confusion, civil unrest, economic challenges, national chaos, wars and rumors of wars everywhere, it seems. We need to remember what he has said. Has he said that when we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that we're saved from our sin and the justice of God? He has said that His perfect life was lived for us so that we could be right with God. He has said that His sacrificial death is given for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He has said that His victorious resurrection means that God accepts everything He did in His life and death and our salvation is secure in Him. He has said that if you're a believer in Christ, you're a child of God, an heir of eternity, and He will provide for your daily needs. Has He not said he has said that in this world you will have trouble. He has said to take heart that because He has overcome this world. He has said that all authority is given to Him and we're to go make disciples of every nation. He has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church from accomplishing the task He has given her. He has said that He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, which means there is not one rogue molecule, not one rogue nation, not one rogue virus that operates outside the bounds or limitations or rule of God's great and glorious care for you. Has He not said? And friends, this means for us right now, 
When we find ourselves worried about personal freedoms being lost or the way our way of life never being the same, we must remember what he has said. When we find ourselves afraid of what others might think of us or being an outcast for what we believe in, we must remember what he has said. When your job status is concerning, when your health isn't great, when your wages are cut, when the sun seems to be shining on everybody else but you, when the things that you value are taken from you, we must remember what he has said. And when our world tells us that God is dead, that Jesus is unimportant, and science and reason are all that matters depending on whichever state you live in in this nation, we must remember what he has said. Do you see your need to be reminded of what he has said? Lord Jesus, help us remember what you have said. Now let's look at the last point then. We'll find this in verse 12. From denying to marveling. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, He saw only the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. The last time we see the Apostle Peter in the book of Luke is found in chapter 22. It's on Thursday night outside the high priest's house. And three times Peter in that outside that house was identified to be a follower of Christ. All three times Peter denied it. The final time we're told that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Here he was, the leader of the apostles, the brash boycotter against the Romans, the outspoken fisherman who declared that Jesus was the Messiah and King that they had waited on, the one who had told Jesus that he would go to hell and back with Jesus and for Jesus, yet denying him that he ever knew him. I mean, the heartache when you read Luke 22 just rips off the page. It just... It just drips. It is, it's painful to read. We can't imagine the gutting moment when Jesus and Peter caught eyes in that moment of Peter's last denial. Now, we don't know where Peter was during the crucifixion. We're not told. We can assume that he was somewhere off in the distance watching the entire thing play out like a, like a horror movie with the deepest amount of regret running through his veins. So what do you think would have gone on in Peter's mind when the women came back and said, Jesus is not in the tomb, he is alive? What do you think would have gone on? I know what would have gone on in my mind. How how am I going to face Jesus? How am I going to look him in the eye and tell him I blew it? How How am I going to handle the shame and the guilt Yeah, look at Peter's response in verse 12. It's almost as if Peter can't wait to see him. He runs to the tomb. And notice most of the other disciples stayed put. Everybody else kind of hung on the same spot. Peter's running to the tomb. And when he saw the empty tomb, notice what it says about him. He went home. And he marveled at what had happened. Not, not, not bitter, not weeping in anguish, not worried, but marveling. Marveling. So my question is, how can a guy like Peter, 
go from denying Christ to marveling at him when he knows he's sinned against him so bad. You ever feel this? You, you've sinned against God or somebody else? You don't want to face him. I think what we're seeing in Peter is the power of an empty cross and an empty tomb. See, on Friday, Jesus Christ was forsaken by his Father so that guys like Peter and people like us would never be forsaken. Think about this for a moment. For a moment, Peter might have denied Jesus on Thursday, but on Friday, Jesus didn't deny Peter. On Friday, Jesus took the sins like Peter and people like us. Fear of man, cowardice, immorality, greed, anger, jealousy, pride. You name the sin, and he died so that we might be forgiven. Peter might have thought his sin was unforgivable. Yet Jesus made a way for Peter's sin to be forgiven. On Friday, Jesus cried out, it is finished, meaning the payment for sin by, uh, by Jesus' death is done. Sins for like Peter's and sins like ours. It was complete. It was done. The debt of God had been paid before God had been paid. Now think about that. Peter didn't owe Jesus anything for denying him because Jesus paid all of his debt. And neither do you and I. We don't, we can't pay God back, and you don't have to pay God back because Jesus paid it all. See, this is what the Bible calls grace. And you know what grace does to you? Grace makes you run to Jesus, not away from Him. Grace draws you to Christ because in Christ you are more loved than you ever dreamed and you're more forgiven than you could ever imagine. On Sunday when the stone was rolled away and Jesus was no longer in the tomb, it revealed to Peter that all that amazing grace, it was more real than Peter's own life. And that God's grace was greater than all of Peter's sin. The resurrection of Jesus means that Peter was no longer in his sins. It meant that his faith in Jesus was not in vain. It was real. It meant that Peter could have eternal life. It meant that God accepted everything Jesus did for Peter, and Peter could run to that tomb knowing his debt was paid, his sins were forgiven, and he could go home marveling at what Jesus had done for him. And that's exactly what it means for you and I. The resurrection means there's no place to run but to Jesus. It means that our faith is real. Our preaching and teaching and belief is true, that our sins are forgiven. It means that God accepted everything Jesus did in His life and death. And it means that God's grace is greater than all your sin and that God has accepted you because of Christ. So you don't, you don't have to stay a denier of Jesus any longer. So you can marvel at him like Peter. See, maybe, maybe you feel like most of us do. Our, our witness of Christ isn't great. You feel like at times you fail. You, you fail more times than you succeed. You feel like that you've, at times, somebody's asked you about your faith and you just clammed up or chickened out. The story of Peter says something to you. You, you don't, you don't have to run from Christ. You can run to him and be completely different in your stance and position on Jesus. Jesus came 
for people like us. So you might think, I've sinned so bad, there's no way I could ever have a relationship with God. The beauty of why Jesus came is because he knows that you and I sinned. That's grace at work, reaching out to each of us. He came for people like these women. Insignificant people to give a credible witness to a world that denies Christ. Why does he do that? So the power of God might be on display through people like you and I just subtly bringing the gospel in and out of our lives and living joyfully before God. The subtle kingdom of God at work in us. See, we can go from from denying Christ to marveling at him. Let's pray together. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.